0: church, welcome. Good morning. Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter eleven as we uh, as we continue uh, in our series through Luke. Uh, It's Thanksgiving week as as uh, as Pat mentioned, and so we have we have a lot to be thankful for. I know that that many of you will be celebrating with family this week, and I don't know what your traditions are, um, but I know a lot of folks tend to love movies. So maybe, maybe that's what you do, maybe on Thanksgiving night, maybe you and your family go to see movies. And as I think about a movie uh, that, that kind of reminds me of the text that we're, we're going to focus on this morning, I think about the movie Toy Story. I, I know it's kind of an older movie, but it came out when I was a kid. I loved it. And in my humble opinion, Toy Story is the best Disney movie. Um, and, uh, that's the beauty of, of of having of having the mic is that no one can really fight back with you, you can say it and it just it's kind of what it's going to be this one. Toy Story is the best Disney movie, and, and and one of the one of the things that I that I, I find so funny and ironic about uh, the, the the movie Toy Story is is Buzz Lightyear, funny character. It's just there's the irony. I know it's a movie about toys, but there's the the funny thing about the movie, in general, is that all the toys know they're toys. Except for Buzz Lightyear. And so Andy, on his birthday, is exciting. He gets this big toy, and he's so excited, he brings it up to his bed to meet all the other toys. And if you don't, haven't seen the movie, you've been living under a rock, but all the toys, they, they, they get excited. The new toy's been brought into the room. And, and with this toy, he's in this giant space shuttle package. And as this package is open, as, as Andy's on the bed, Buzz Lightyear comes to life and Buzz Lightyear, if you don't know, he's, he's not just a toy, but he's a space ranger toy meant to, meant to, um, to look like uh, the actual Buzz Lightyear, the actual space ranger. Okay. But as Buzz Lightyear kind of comes to life in the movie, the funny thing is he wakes up and he actually thinks he is the Buzz Lightyear. I mean, you can understand it, right? Because, because Buzz, he, he looks on his exterior and he sees a little, a little laser. Like he sees a button and he presses it and it's, it's a little blinking light. And, and he sees a, he has a helmet. The exterior, it looks like a space ranger. I mean, he pressed the button, it closes. He, he pressed the button, it opens back up. And, and then the most impressive is his wingspan. He presses a button here and his wings pop out. And so the funny thing is that, is that Buzz Lightyear, he's, he's walking around for the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie. And, and Andy, the cowboy, uh, who's previously been, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Woody, the cowboy, he's previously been Andy's best friend. He's like walking around looking at this guy. He's like, wait a second. This guy actually thinks that he is a space ranger. I mean, Woody has so much just understanding of himself that he understands we're all toys, but this guy over here, he's looking at his, at his exterior.
1: And he's like, just based on his exterior,
0: the plastic, everything, he's like, I am a space ranger. And I'm proud of it. And there's a point in the movie where they're standing there, and,
1: and, and finally Woody decides to confront this guy. And
0: he's like, Wait a second, Buzz. You think you're the Buzz Lightyear? You've got a little. You've got a little. This isn't a
1: laser. It's a little lightning bulb that blinks. He's like, "You think you can fly?" Buzz like,
0: "I can fly. I can fly." And so, all of a sudden, Buzz Lightyear he he does this thing where he 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 falls down. He goes up a little ramp, and then he gets caught on the on the on the ceiling fan, and he starts spinning around. And off the the the, the the ceiling fan lets him go and he falls on on the on the on the bed and he says I can fly see I told you
1: The irony here The irony is is that many people are like Buzz Lightyear They they, they look at exterior And they say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ because I can give this this external appearance of what it looks like to be a Christian. And while we can laugh at Buzz Lightyear, a children's story, and we can see the irony in it. As we look at this story today, Jesus doesn't find that funny. In fact, it's very serious. Over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about
0: hypocrisy. And I know that it's not a a subject that's very exciting to talk about. It's not very encouraging to talk about, so I'll admit that up front. But, But I do believe that it's something at times that we all do, struggle with. The question is, what do we do with it? If we acknowledge that, what do we do with it? Do we lean into it and just say, well, just, we're hypocrites, so it doesn't matter, we shouldn't try? Or is there a godly response to it? I believe there is. We'll talk about that this morning. So hopefully you've made your way to Luke chapter 11. I'm going to be this morning... In verses uh, 37 through 44, but to give context, I'm actually going to read verses 37 through chapter 12, verse 3. So please follow along as I read. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, "Now you Pharisees cleanse the now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others." "'Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues "'and greetings in the marketplaces. "'Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, "'and people walk over them without knowing it.' "'One of the lawyers answered him, "'Teacher, in saying these things you insult us also.' "'And he said, "'Woe to you, lawyers, also, "'for you load people with burdens hard to bear, "'and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. "'Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets "'whom your fathers killed.' So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him, to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, they were trampling one another uh, that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. May God bless the reading of his word. As I I mentioned a moment ago this morning, I will mainly focus on verses 37 through 44 this morning. But I, I wanted to give this context here because at the end, as Jesus addresses the, the Pharisee here at dinner, the, this, the Pharisees and the lawyers, he, he makes his way to the crowds afterwards, and his, and his directive to the crowd is to beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So as Jesus would speak to the crowds, as Jesus would, would speak to his disciples, he would say this, Beware Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. It's, it's of, it, the leaven is the hypocrisy. Beware such lifestyle. Beware such people. And so, th- this, again, these next two weeks, that, that is the focus. Okay? That, that's what we're going we're to look at. And so my main point this morning is this. When we offer our sinful hearts to Jesus, he cleans them up. When we offer our empty works to Jesus, he burns them up. When we offer our sinful hearts to Jesus, he cleans them up. When we offer our empty works to Jesus, he burns them up. Point one, hypocrites pride themselves in things that don't matter to God. Hypocrites pride themselves in things that don't matter to God. We see this in, in, in verses 37 through 38, and, and Jesus was speaking, and, and, and during his speaking engagement, a Pharisee, he comes up to him and, and invited him over for dinner. And so Jesus obliges. He comes to this, to this dinner party, and I, I don't know what the Pharisee was thinking. I don't know, uh, you know how he expected the dinner party to go. Maybe they expected to have some interesting conversations, I don't know if you've ever had uh, like a Thanksgiving meal or dinner with your family and you thought it was going to be some like nice meal or the family's going to get together. We're going to share stories about what we're going to be, what we're grateful about. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to open up God's word. It's going to be a nice meal. And then all of a sudden halfway through the meal, you're like, wow, that was a disaster. The family's fighting it. It wasn't the type of meal maybe that I expected. This is kind of that meal. Kind of that meal. You know, the Pharisee invites over Jesus, and, and all of a sudden, Jesus, he really just starts tearing into him. It wasn't a, very, wasn't a very encouraging meal for the Pharisees and for the lawyers, but it was the exact kind of meal that they needed. And while this might not be a very encouraging text for many of us, this might be the type of meal that we need this morning. This might need to be the kind of text that we need to meditate on. The kind of text that we need to pierce our hearts. And so let's embrace that.
1: Because these Pharisees didn't. But here were these these Pharisees.
0: And he invites Jesus into the house. And, And in verse 38, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash before dinner.
1: He didn't wash. He didn't wash his hands. He comes in, he invites the guest in. You know, the Pharisees, they, they 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 line up at the at the water pots, they wash their hands.
0: They notice Jesus, he he sits down and, and, and he starts to dig in. And this word here, astonished, think of it more as shocked.
1: Shocked. Like
0: <gasps> maybe you've been to a restaurant. And sometimes with many fast-food restaurants, you know, you're sitting there, you're waiting on your food, and you you can look into the kitchen, and and you can see something. One time, my wife, I I hate to admit it, I, I tried to get her to stop, but one time she was eating at Taco Bell. Pray for her. She was eating at Taco Bell, and she saw the person who was preparing her order, making her crunch wrap. I think that's what she gets. And in the back, she sees the guy on the, making her, fu- her, her food, and he's just on his phone. He's not wearing gloves, and so, you know, he's just kind of making the food back there on his phone. And, and, and one of the most dirty things in the entire world is a phone. When you think about it, guys, a lot of times, you know, you take that phone, you take it to the restroom, and, you know, you're playing, you know, and then you put it back in your hand, you know, you get what I'm saying. Don't act, don't act like you don't. They're dirty. So she sees
1: the guy talking on his phone. Then making her crunchwrap. That's how you get E. coli. She was shocked. She was disgusted. She asked for a refund. She left. Didn't ever go back. Praise God. That's what you get when you go to Taco Bell. Here's the thing. That wasn't what
0: the Pharisee was astonished about. The Pharisee wasn't shocked because he was worried that Jesus might get E. coli. He wasn't shocked that, that, that Jesus was, was, going to, was going to spread germs to the rest of the community as they partook of the food together. He was not worried about food safety. He wasn't, he wasn't worried about, about external cleanliness. In this context, the Pharisees followed a ritual of hand washing that they actually believed cleansed them from being around an unclean world. It, it was an effort that they thought made them ritually clean before God. It wasn't a food safety thing. It was a ritual. It was, it was a religious practice that had great symbolic value to them, not just to the Pharisees, but to the Jews of that time. They believed it made them clean before God. They, they, they believed that this act before dinner made them distinct before the world. They would go to the market... They'd be out and about, they, they would be out and about the, with all the pagans, and, and then when they come back into their home, they would, they would wash their hands, and, and, the, and the Mishnah gives all these different uh, rules and regulations for how they had to wash their hands, and if, if they somehow messed it up, they had to start over because it was all about the ritual. It was all, it was all about how they did it. They had great traditions for hand-washing, and they, and they placed great value in this. And this, and this, and this washing of his hands was, was a great part of their identity. Again, to them, this, this was an act of ritual purity before God. And if, and if you go to Mark 7, you can see a similar encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisees regarding hand-washing. And, and Mark 7, 3-4, through 4, it gives us this insight to hand-washing. It says... For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. It was a cleanliness ritual. It was a religious ritual. And as... So, so, what was he actually shocked at? What was the Pharisee shocked at as he, as he saw Jesus? Essentially, his, his level of astonishment, or the fact that he was shocked at Jesus, he was essentially calling Jesus unclean. Essentially, That's, that's how he, he saw Jesus. Again, additional insights in Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, they said, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So exactly in this moment, this Pharisee believed Jesus to be unclean because Jesus wasn't following the tradition of the elders, wasn't following their cultural standards, wasn't following their extra-biblical Acts.
1: Here's the thing. God deeply cares about holiness. God deeply
0: cared about corporate holiness, personal holiness for his people. Leviticus 19.1 says, To be holy, for I am holy. God cared about the way his people looked. God cared about their hearts. God cared about their whole being. God cared about the way that his people would look distinct from the world. He greatly cared about that. The problem here is that these rules, these standards, these traditions
1: were not found in the law.
0: And the Pharisees knew that. They knew it. They kept saying, the traditions of the elders, traditions, traditions, traditions. They were well aware that it was not found in the law of God. And the Pharisees and and the religious leaders of that day, what they would do is they would take the law of God and if the standard was here, we've talked about this a lot so far in Luke, if the standard was here, they would build fences way back here. So that they would never somehow violate God's law in their mind. That's what they thought. They thought that by creating their own rules, their own man-made traditions, that somehow they would not break the law. And so in this moment, Jesus enters the home, and he sees the hand-washing. He knows how much it means to them. He knows the cultural standard So surely in that moment, it would have been wise for Jesus simply to be a peacemaker, right? I mean, surely there wasn't actually anything wrong with running your hands under some water at the moment. I mean, for instance, God's word did not say that it was wrong to wash your hands. So Jesus in that moment... It wouldn't have been sinful. It would have been wrong for him him to partake of their cultural standard, would it? On the contrary, Jesus did not participate in their hypocritical and man-exalting antics. He wanted nothing to do with it. Jesus, Jesus understood exactly what this hand-washing represented to these people, and he would not give any credence to it. To these people, it was not simply water cleaning your hands. It was a way to make you ritually pure before God, and Jesus would have nothing to do with that. Again, the additional insights in, in Mark 7, 8-9 through 9 says, Jesus tells them this about their hand-washing and about their traditions. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And Jesus said to them again, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Their practice of, of ceremonial hand-washing and, and, and ritual hand-washing, it wasn't just, just, just a nice little habit this was actually a rejection of God, a rejection of the law, a rejection of holiness, in pursuit of the way that, rejection of what God would say holiness is, in pursuit of a way that highlighted themselves in their own efforts, in their own traditions. It was man exalting, not God exalting. It was pious, but not piety towards God, piety towards
1: self. And Jesus would have
0: nothing to do with it. For Jesus to take part in these extra-biblical tactics that were an effort to make oneself clean before the Lord, or to make oneself set apart from the world, would have been
1: wrong. And Jesus didn't
0: care how upset it made them. Jesus didn't care that, that, that if, if what, what Uh, what the Pharisees or the religious leaders thought about him in rejecting such tactics. He understood that to participate is sinful. We must understand, church, that establishing our own traditions, our own rules, our own standards our own laws as a form of righteousness before God as, as as a way of saying this is what it means to be right before the Lord this is what it means to be holy this is what it means to be a good person whatever that is whenever we establish our own traditions that are not found in the word of God it is sinful it is wrong it's not okay God is never, ever, ever, ever okay with legalism.
1: Ever. We need to hear that, church. We might have
0: some good ideas about how to live our life. Just admit it. Okay, maybe we have some good decisions. We've made some good decisions. But if the good decision is not a standard found in God's word that we're all called to live by, then we don't need to say that that's God's standard for the world. That's the tr- tradition of man. And we often think, we often falsely think that we can somehow hold to the gospel while adding other unwritten requirements in order to be right before God. And it's just not true. In fact, we see Paul in writing to the church at Galatia. In Galatians 1, 6-9, Paul says, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no
1: gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ.
0: What are they doing? Guys are walking around saying that you had to be circumcised. You had to to follow the law in order to be a real Christian. Adding... Adding to the Word of God. Not grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, but grace alone and faith alone, Christ alone, plus circumcision, plus the law, plus works. Yes, they were preaching grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone,
1: plus a little bit of this. And you know what Paul calls that? A different gospel. A different gospel. There's one gospel. I was talking to someone this week, and he was like, well, you
0: know, we, we, you know, we can't, you know, what, what is the gospel really, basically, is what it was. There's one gospel, and it's very clear. Trust in Christ, repent of your sin. He makes you new. He saves you. He justifies you. And then he changes you, and he makes you like Christ. And you walk in righteousness by the power of the Spirit.
1: He delivers his home. That's the gospel. No effort on you, not your works, not your efforts, not your striving.
0: Christ alone. And this is what Paul continues to say. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. I'll say it again because Paul said it again, verse 9, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. To add requirements to God's word is incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. But it's amazing how we can do it, isn't it, church? It's amazing how quickly we can do it. Let me ask you a question. At your core, what are the things that
1: you think make you a good person?
0: What is it that you, that's distinctive? That you're like, this is, this is what makes me a good person. This is, when, I, when I think about what actually, what I complain about my neighbor, I'm complaining about this because I'm good at this.
1: What standards are you holding other people to?
0: The things that when they violate those standards, it makes you angry, makes you frustrated, makes you concerned, makes you feel all self-exalting. What do you look at
1: in your life and you are proud of? Is it your political views?
0: Maybe you vote right, maybe you vote left, maybe you're a capitalist, maybe you're a socialist, whatever, and you, and you find great value. In a, that that's what makes a good person. That's what makes a true Christian. Maybe it's whether you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask. Real Christians wear a mask. Real Christians rebel and don't wear a mask. Real Christians get the vaccine. Real Christians don't get the vaccine. Real Christians drink alcohol. Real Christians don't drink alcohol. Real Christians follow X diet. Real Christians don't care. Real Christians have X physique. Real Christians don't. Real Christians dress this way. Real Christians dress that way. Real Christians have this kind of looking house. Real Christians have this kind of looking house. Real Christians educate their children this way. No, real Christians educate their children this way. Real Christi- Christians pursue this type of education. Real Christ- Christians pursue this type. What about your choices such as adoption or foster care? Your financial decisions? to have debt, to not have debt. Your choice of a job, whether whether you're at home a lot, whether you travel a lot, your choice to be a stay-at-home mom or a mom that has a job, your choice to date or your choice to not
1: date. There are certain, there are a certain amount of biblical principles, church,
0: that should certainly determine and govern one's life choices That should affect every single one of the things that
1: I just mentioned. Amen.
0: However, we must not apply strict forms of obedience where the Bible only gives us function. We must not. Where the Bible does give us function, where the Bible does say, do XYZ this way, we passionately do it passionately and we pursue it and we hold each other to those standards but where the Bible does it, we are not given the freedom to add rules. We're not.
1: So if we have things in our life
0: that if we have held other people to standards that we promote ourselves, we promote our own decisions, our own lifestyle, our own whatever traditions Repent. If it's not found in
1: God's word, repent. Confess it. Jesus did not just participate in their rituals. He exposed their sinfulness.
0: Hypocrites pride themselves in the things that don't matter to God. And then hypocrites neglect the things that do matter to God. Hypocrites neglect, point two, hypocrites neglect the things that do matter to God. We see this in verses 39 through 42. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These ought, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. See, here Jesus points out their biggest problem. He points out their biggest problem. They look righteous on the outside, but on the inside they are wicked. See, on the outside, this is the problem. The problem is sometimes our perspective. Here in 2021, we know we can look back at God's word and we can see how, rich, how wicked and how vile the Pharisees are, how wicked and vile the religious leaders are. We, we, can, we can look back at them and say, man, they were self righteous, they hated God. But here's the thing if we lived in Jesus' time, we would have looked at the Pharisees as the standard of righteousness. I mean, they looked the part. The Pharisees on the outside, they looked very concerned for the supposed holiness of Israel. They looked good. Like, we would have liked the
1: Pharisees. They were conservative. They were like the Bible-believing people in word.
0: And even... In some to some degree, in action. I mean, the Pharisees prayed. And and as the way that Jesus describes the Pharisees praying in in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, he talks about like the Pharisees that would go out and they pray these loud, impressive prayers. You would look look at a Pharisee and you're like, man, that's it right there. You hear the way that brother prays. They gave money to the synagogue. They were big time tithers. They were the big givers. In fact, they tithed everything. The the law the law talked about what what to, what to, uh, what to tithe, but they went above and beyond. And said in the in the um, 91, which again is a is a form of their their oral law, their oral traditions, it says that spices were exempt from tithing. You didn't have to tithe the spices. But here we see in Luke 11, Jesus says, man, you guys, you're, you're, you're tithing your spices, your, your mint, your root, your, every herb, everything down to the penny, man, you're not letting one thing go. Reminds me a lot of the Mormons. Mormons are big about tithing, and they're big about tithing. They always talk about pre-tax. You gotta tith- like, you'll, turn in, you'll turn in your tax returns. And to, your, to the local elders, and, the, and they'll observe them and they'll see that you make sure you're tithing before tax, not after tax. People love their rules. People love their rules. The, the, the Pharisees, though, they would give, they, they, they looked the part. They were the big givers in the synagogue. They fasted so much that their bodies would look thin and sickly. You could tell, oh man, they're serious. They really looked radical. Like If you would have seen the Pharisees, you would have thought, man, these guys are just so radical about their love for God. And they really bought it. They looked serious about their faith. No one, no one, no one, not you and not me, would have ever described the Pharisees as evil.
1: They would have passed the cultural eyeball test in terms of what it meant to be God's people. However, God sees
0: things that we can't see. God sees the heart. You see, it's easy for us to fool each other, isn't it? It's easy for us to fool everyone around us into thinking that we're something that we're not. We can go on Facebook and we can, we can put pictures up of our, of our nice clean-cut, put-together family that's smiling with a, with a nice hashtag blessed. And we can post them and post them and post them and post them. And everybody's fooled. Everybody's fooled into and, and thinking, what a nice family. What a nice guy. What a nice gal. Man, I, I wish our family was more like that. I wish I was more like... I need to... I'm so encouraged
1: by your photos. Oh, it's so easy to give an external-looking righteousness to fool everyone. It's not hard.
0: It's not hard. It really isn't. We can come in here and and we can raise hands. We can come and, and we can give a check. We can attend
1: Bible study. There's a lot that we can do.
0: It doesn't take the Holy Spirit to do any of that. None of it. It doesn't take the Holy Spirit for you to be here this morning. We're glad you're here. But please, don't think that for one moment that just because that you're sitting in a chair in a room like this at this time today listening to me talk, that it makes you clean before God. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if you give every penny you have in that box back there. It doesn't make you clean before God. It is easy for us to pass off external righteousness, external-looking righteousness, and adherence to rules as actual true righteousness before God. But hypocrites love rules. And hypocrites love external righteousness. But they have no
1: interest in the character of God and have no true love for God. For these Pharisees, this played out as, as
0: them cleaning their dishes. They would come together and, and they would clean their dishes and, and their dishes would be pristine. You'd, you'd walk into their house, they'd have you over for dinner, and you'd know, oh, what? Clean dishes. They'd have a nice dinner party. The dishes would be stacked up in the sink. And afterwards, they would sit there cleaning their dishes, proud of themselves. Oh, I'm just such a... I'm, such, I'm so much better than the guy down the... Look at this dish. Look at me cleaning my Tupperware. Isn't God honored? They would do this. They would work so, so hard at keeping this image, but they would ignore their hearts. They would ignore their hearts. Their hearts were full of greed. And their hearts were full of wickedness. Understand this, that we could have, do all of this sort of external looking junk that looks the part, that acts the part, that fools all of us while having hearts that are sinful and wicked and greedy and evil before the Lord The Pharisees were doing things that did not matter to God, and they were neglecting the things that did matter to God. See, God is not satisfied, Community Bible Church. God is not satisfied with us simply playing church.
1: He's not. He's not satisfied with us simply coming and pretending to be something that we're not. That does not honor the Lord, no matter how committed you are to this group. In fact, God hates such worship. He hates it.
0: He hates it. He despises it. In Amos 5 21 through 23, God says, To to, to unfaithful Israel, Israel that would honor him with, with their lips and honor them with their external actions, but their hearts were far from God. Their hearts actually didn't desire holiness. Their hearts actually didn't love God. God says he hates such worship. He says this, I hate, I despise your feasts. I despise them. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I'm not going to accept them. Even then, they're doing externally the things that God is calling them to do the way God's calling them to do it. According to the the form, they're doing it to the T.
1: But God, because
0: they did not love the Lord God, He says, take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. God does not accept such worship. Hear me, he doesn't, church. God does not accept pure external worship. No matter how committed you are.
1: No matter how radical you look. No matter
0: how much you fooled one another, we fooled one another. God does not accept it. God isn't looking for anything
1: less than all of you.
0: Nothing less. Every square inch of your heart, every square inch of your desires, every square inch of your pursuits, every square inch of your ambitions, every square inch of your hope, every square inch of your joy, all of it is what God is looking for, is what God is calling us To give him. God is not looking for simple external righteousness and adherence to rules. He's looking for your whole heart. He's looking for my whole heart.
1: He says, give as alms those things that are within you and everything is clean for you.
0: The Pharisees thought this, that the way for them to be clean was to adhere to these rules. And once they would adhere to these rules, then somehow they would be clean. And God's saying, that does you no good. Give me your heart. Not do, 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 then you'll be clean. He says, give me your heart, and you will be clean. All of it. White as snow. Pure. Holy righteousness. And that is found, church, in Christ alone. We are not justified before God because of our works. We are not righteous because of the things that we do. We are not holy because of church attendance or raising our hands or singing loud or anything else.
1: We just say, Lord, take my sinful heart and make it clean. And he does it. It's really that simple. It's really that
0: simple. But the problem we don't like that is because, the reason we don't like that is because that gives God all the glory
1: and leaves no room for the glory for us.
0: Because only God can clean a sinful heart. This is the good news found in this text, church. This is the good news in a a text that's pretty intense. This is the good news. That when we offer God our sinful heart, as sinful
1: and wicked and dirty as it is, He promises us that
0: He will clean it. This is what God is looking for We see in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, it's not a list of do, 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 do. Jesus is looking for a heart that desires mercy, a heart that desires holiness, a heart that desires to love the Lord, a heart that desires justice, a heart that desires these things, desires God and desires the things that God cares about. That's what God's looking for. Psalm 51, 16 through 17 says this, for you will not delight in sacrifice. After, after David committed his sins with Bathsheba, we, we, we all know Psalm 51, but, but remember this. At, 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 with David's confession, he, t- he tells the Lord, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, this is what the sacrifice God is looking for, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. That is what, the looking, that's what God is looking for. Christianity is, isn't simply a change in behavior, but a change in worship, desire, love, pursuit, joy, sustenance, hope, adoration, and allegiance. That is Christianity. That is biblical worship. This is what repentance really is. It's a change of heart that actually leads to a change of action. A change in action without a change of heart is not repentance. A change of heart without a change in action
1: is not repentance. We offer our heart to the Lord. uh, The Lord changes us. He really does. And He changes our desires. He changes our works. He changes our actions. He really, really does. If you think that external righteousness makes you clean, you are mistaken, my friends. There will be plenty. Hear me. There will be plenty of moral people in hell. Plenty. Plenty of generous people in hell. Plenty of Republicans in hell. Plenty of kids that went to Christian school in hell. According to Jesus in verse 41, what Jesus is looking for is your heart. And
0: what does Jesus say to people who strive for an outward-looking holiness but don't genuinely love God or love the things that God loves? Pursuing outward righteousness but neglecting the love of God,
1: neglecting justice? He calls them a fool.
0: Oh, you're you foolish. You're, you're, you're so foolish. And he pronounces a series of woes that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. And this, and this woe, I just want you to feel how strong it is. Because in, in, in Jesus saying woe to you, what he's saying is you are about to experience the judgment of God. You are on your way to experience the judgment of God. You think because of your external deeds and the way that you look that you're going to earn the righteousness of God. You're not. In fact, you're going to earn the judgment of God. You're headed to hell unless you repent.
1: And if that is you this morning, friend,
0: hear me. You look at your life, you look at your decisions, and, and maybe you feel like on the outside you've got it all together and you think you're fooling everybody and people would look at you and say that, man, you're, you're, you're a good guy, you're a, you're a nice young lady, you're clean cut, you got a good job, you're making good decisions, you've never really hurt anybody, you're just, you know, you're a good moral person and you feel good about that, but you really examine your own heart. And this is something that only you and God know. I don't know this. But you really, you lay your head on the pillow at night. You are sitting here right now. You're driving on the way home. And you actually realize in your heart of hearts that you have no love for God. You actually have no desire to be like God. You have no desire to be with God. You're like the
1: Pharisees here. And you will experience the wrath of God. You will, you will, but the good news is that you can trust in Christ. You need not stay where you're at.
0: Repent and trust in Christ. Today can be the day of salvation. Finally, point three, hypocrites always love themselves more than others. Hypocrites always love themselves more than others. We see this in verses 43 and 44. As Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees. Again, judgment is coming for you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. <clears throat> the Pharisees, they love to look important. They loved to be in positions that made them look good. Yet they neglected justice. This most likely means, church, that they neglected the poor. They neglected the outcasts. They neglected those people, had nothing to do with those people that did not make them look good. If I have nothing to gain from you, I want nothing to do with you. They wanted to look important without actually being important. They wanted to appear influential without actually having a positive influence on people. No substance, all image. I in Texas, they say, all hat and no
1: cattle. They loved their
0: image. They loved to sit in the front row so that everybody behind them, everyone in the room, as they looked down to the speaker, they could, they could, they could see who's sitting in front, all oh, nice and pious and holy. Nice clean hands. They loved the greetings in the synagogues, being popular, being well-liked. This wasn't just a symptom of leaders in their day, but it's also a symptom of leaders in ours. Oh, I consider how many churches have pastors that want nothing to do with their flock.
1: They build up this giant congregation,
0: get a nice Twitter following, they get a nice corner office, they get protection. They come, they stand, they stand in the lights. They look important. People sit and they listen and and it strokes the ego. They're, They're celebrities. They've got a nice following. You must beware of such temptations. They need to feel important.
1: They need to look important. They need to be praised by man. We must, church, we must reject that. Jesus said, if you want to be great, you'll serve. Service looks like getting dirty, being with people. Looks like drama. But standing in there. Hypocrites, they want to look good in front of people. They don't care about how they look before God. They think the most important thing in the world is that man thinks they look good. With no regard to how God sees them. And they've tricked, their, they've, they've, they've tricked themselves into thinking that their life is doing more good than
0: harm. Yeah, sure, my ambitions are selfish. Yeah, yeah sure, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm looking good in public, but in private, I'm incredibly sinful. And surely, my private sin isn't hurting anyone. That's the lie, though. When we are living in unrepentant sin, we're hurting those around us, and we may not even know it. This includes our spouses, our children, our family, our friends, those we minister to, our neighbors, etc. Jesus tells these Pharisees who looked
1: good on the outside, their thin, sickly bodies from fasting,
0: these loud, really good prayers, these, these giving to the synagogue type people, he tells them this. He says, You are like unmarked graves. Woe to you.
1: People walk over you without even knowing it. About the worst thing that an Israelite could do would be to touch a dead body. I mean, it was incredibly
0: inconvenient. If you touched the dead body, according to the Old Testament, you'd have to go through a seven-day purification process. Touching a dead body was probably one of the most unclean things that you could do. And Instead of leading people towards righteousness, the Pharisees' lives, their works, and their teaching was leading people straight to hell at worst or giving them a false view of God and holiness at best.
1: They were leading people to uncleanliness, unrighteousness, Your sin is never just consequences for you. Your sin has consequences for those around you as well. And hypocrites don't care. So what do we do with this? Because the reality is we all suffer with hypocrisy from time to time. We do. We put on a face while neglecting righteousness we do? I do it. What do we do? What should we as Christians look like? We should look like people who
0: love Christ. We should look like people who love the things that Christ loves, holiness and his bride, love our neighbor as ourselves. Isn't that what the law says? Sum it all up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That should be what characterizes us. We should also hate the things that God hates, injustice,
1: sin. But oftentimes we don't.
0: Oftentimes we don't. So what do we do? When confronted with the reality of our own hypocrisy, how will we respond? let me suggest that we step into the light.
1: Step into the light. Confess your sins to Christ and live in freedom. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian
0: is not that a non-Christian sins and a Christian doesn't. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that when a Christian is, is, is made aware of their sin, The Christian repents. The Christian is broken. The Christian desires holiness. He confesses his sin before God and walks in freedom and joy. While the non-Christian, the Pharisees, they continue acting like they're something that they're not. They continue working on their image. No confession, no brokenness, no clinging to Christ, but continually relying on themselves. May again, we be like David in Psalm 41, 51 as we are made aware of our sin, made aware of our inward desire to exalt self over Christ. May we be like David in Psalm 51 and say this, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. We must confess our tendency to hypocrisy. We must confess our sinfulness. You know what, God, when when, when we confess that, God does not say, woe to you, Brian, you hypocrite. Woe to you, Brian, you sinner. Woe to you, Brian, who who desires to exalt self over Christ. He says, dear son,
1: you are clean.
0: May we be a people who are quick to confess, knowing this church, that God is so quick to give us grace and to make us clean. Be encouraged with that, church.